Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRider.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome back for episode two on the future of gravel here on the Bike Radar podcast with me, Catherine Moore. Last week, we cast our minds back to the genesis of gravel and examined why it's become so popular. But today we're turning to all things tech. We're going to be looking at the evolution of gravel bikes until now and where they might go in the future. For this episode, we've got two conversations lined up. Firstly, we'll be chatting with our in-house gravel gurus, Warren Rossiter and Tom Marvin, and then we'll introduce you to YT's product development manager, Frank Dorr. So without further ado, welcome back to the studio, Tom and Warren. Hi, Catherine. So Warren, why don't you start us off? How, could you estimate how many gravel bikes you've tested over the last you know, five, six, seven years since they've uh, been a thing? That's a really, really tough question. Lots. Um, <laughs> Catherine. I mean, if I think, you know, I tested the original GT Grade back in 2014, and that was one of the first mass mm. market gravel bikes. But before that, I'd ridden bikes like... Salsa's original Fargo, which was on a mutant kind of mashup of a 29er and a drop bar bike. I also tried the Salsa Warbird back in the end of 2012, 2013. Prior to that, Specialized, of course, they had the Tricross, which is like a proto bike packing bike, if ever there was one. Yeah. And the years prior to that, and I'm talking here like early noughties, you had micro brands putting together like really funky all road, which you'd call gravel machines now. And one such bike came out of a, a local bike shop. Uh, close to close to us here, which was um, Avon Valley Cycles in Bath. Oh, yeah. They had an own brand machine, which they called the Caribou. And basically what they did on the original ones was they took like the previous year's steel mountain bike frames from the likes of Kona and and, and uh, added fat semi-slick tyres, drop bars, and a few other mods and gave them fancy paint jobs and created like a really good go-anywhere bike. You know, later on with Caribou, they, they employed, you know, legendary builders like Roberts to, to make later caribous so I, I you know i'm really getting off track here but i'd say including <laughs> those early endeavors in the intervening years it's in the high hundreds i would yeah, say you know carbon titanium aluminium 650b 700c 29er suspended electric all road any road bikepacking transcontinental they, they, you know it's a uh, it's a genre that just keeps expanding yeah. and but more and more so. So so how would you say, you know, in your experience of testing these bikes since before gravel was even like a universal term, how have they changed in that time? I mean, you know, things like geometry has evolved uh, a lot, but I'd say predominantly it's tyre clearances. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. those early gravel bikes, you know, they followed the cyclocross kind of model of clearance. So we're talking, I think the original GT grade had 35 mil max. Um Nowadays, it's 45, 50 on most serious gravel bikes. Um, and from that, it's more specialization. Most early gravel bikes had fixtures and fittings galore. So it was gravel. If it was gravel, it needed to be bike packing. So it needed to be able to do everything. Um, then we've got the kind of racy gravel subset, spearheaded by 3T and Cervelo, you know, with the Aspero. They even marketed that bike as hauling ass, not luggage. And that's led to bikes like BMC's Caius, Factors Ostro, and uh, I'd even put some like specialised crooks in, in yeah. that. And now we've got the crossover bikes too, um, you know, like Ridley's Griffin, which can be built into a gravel bike or an endurance road bike. Cannondale's new Synapse is gravel capable. And argue, I'd argue both like the Roubaix and the Damani always have been. In fact, our new uh, road bike of the year is Vitus's exceptional then on Evo, um, and that hits the crossover with absolute pinpoint precision. Mm. You know, and from there, now we're getting into like the tech trail gravel bikes. You know, Rondo, Nuke Proof, even Giant have met that challenge, and of course YT. You know, so we're we're seeing from my point of view now. I think you know, uh, and we're doing this not long after we've finished. You know, all of us in this room have finished doing our bike of the year testing. I'll be arguing for 2024, we need more than one gravel category mm. because gravel bikes are not all the same anymore. Yeah. You know? 
It's fascinating because I remember working in a bike shop when the sort of like genesis of gravel, if you want to call it that, sort of came around, or at least it may mainstream. And we didn't have gravel bikes, we had adventure bikes. So we had like a Genesis Quad of Fur with maybe like 35 mil tire clearance, which at the time was radical. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, semi-slick tires and and a couple of like slightly unknown brands, um, you know, just very I, different. I, I always to... think it's almost like a, it's it's a, it, I, when it when gravel first started being shouted about, especially marketed, mm. it was being written off almost immediately as yet another fad. You yeah. know? Oh, it will go the way of um, the fixed gear in the kind of mass market thing. But I always had this sneaking suspicion there was no way it was going to, mm. because it was almost the legitimization of bikes. Me and a lot of my mates had always ridden. You know, I always had um, a cross bike in my stable, which wasn't for cross racing. It was for basically gravel riding you know i think um and i don't know what some thinks about this but i do think that the technical advancements in mountain bikes have made old school mountain biking ridiculously easy on a modern mountain bike yeah they're still challenging on a gravel bike and also i think the market in mountain biking has shifted to it's become much more akin to skiing you know you go to a trail center you ride you know brilliant pre-conscribed trails that sense of adventure going back to that yeah doesn't seem to be at mountain biking's core anymore. Mm. Uh, and gravel has just appropriated that place. And that's why we're seeing bikes that are being as much influenced from the mountain bike side of things as they are from the road. Um, it's probably the most exciting part of drop bar bike design right now. Yeah. And Tom, you're no stranger at all to um, to advancements in the off-road category coming from a mountain biking background. How would you say that gravel bikes have evolved in comparison to mountain bikes? You know, are they following a similar trajectory or are they doing something completely different? Uh, I think they they are following similar trajectories, but on a slightly more muted muted scale. And I'll get onto that. Going back to that sort of earlier conversation of sort of the genesis of them, you know, from a mountain bike perspective, you know, obviously, I guess, Warren, you're looking at the genesis from a maybe a slightly more road sort of bent. And, but from a mountain bike side, we saw things like, monster cross bikes coming out maybe 10, 12 years ago, mm. which, you know, were basically, you know, people are either modifying their mountain bikes and putting, you know, super short but steep stems on there to, you know, and then, you know, their drop bars and running mountain bike tires. Or there were brands such as, you know, Singular, for example, is it a Peregrine they had and, and a few other sort of models where, you know, we're talking about, you know, 2.3, 2.4 inch tires, big chunky things on a drop bar bike that clearly had some mountain bike influence, but also some road bike influence. And then you've gone down, you know, then there's the sort of the route of, you know, the super narrow tire clearances on, you know, GT grade and those sort of things, which maybe was the real sort of genesis of the road based gravel bike. But I just thought it was, you know, an interest. I just remembered those things from mountain bike forums back in the day and just seeing people do these wacky things with their mountain bikes and thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, and then I rode a GT grade again really early on when it came out. I think I did a, a, a feature in the Alps and I went to Iceland with one and did all sorts of stuff. I had one for a, as a long-term bike in CP. Um, so that was sort of my sort of real introduction to it all. And, then, you know, I, I'm a real convert, like... You know, as I said, you know, people see these things, oh, it's a bit of a fad, it's just a marketing thing. It's like, all right, we'll go and ride one. Because yeah. honest to God, like, you know, of my sort of leisure time riding outside of the, the mountain bike testing I tend to do, I, I probably spend at least half my time on gravel bikes because they're brilliant. In terms of sort of those tech advancements, though, I, th I think I, I'd agree, like, they have followed what mountain biking has done in a slightly more compressed time scale because they've been able to borrow that technology maybe mm. from mountain bikes. And as I say, everything's on a slightly smaller scale. So, you know, if you want to talk about suspension, you know, that's been introduced and it's been introduced first off with, you know, maybe some, you know, more basic systems with less damping. But we're now seeing properly controlled, controllable from mountain bike derived suspension products on the market. When we're talking about gears, you know, we've we've done the, you know, mechanical two-speed ten, you know, two at the front, ten at the back, and we're now talking about some really high-tech, you know, electronic wireless one by, you know, and, and hub gear technologies in there. Frame advancements, you know, there's compliance being built in where it should be. There's inserts here and, and thinning tubes there and all sorts of things. And while we haven't gone down the full mountain bike route of proper long low slack geometry, we haven't gone yet to proper full suspension gravel bikes. Although obviously the likes of Nine have tried it, hasn't taken off yet. I think you can clearly see that there's a there's a lot being taken from mountain biking and plenty being taken from the road bikes and and into these bikes that really are as technologically advanced as bikes get these days. Mm. And you touched on suspension there because that's something that's really changed the sort of gravel bike market in the last couple of years, especially. You've both 
tried suspension on gravel bikes? Like, what was your takeaway from trying that, Warren? I think, you know, there's a lot of early early kind of criticism on it. And I just think it's because we're so predominantly associated with thinking of suspension as big hit, big hit cushioning in it and that kind of more extreme end of mountain bike. You know, you know, back when I was, um, you know, riding and racing on mountain bikes, the forks I was riding, you know, if I had a long travel kit on my on my rock shocks, it meant it had a forty eight mm travel. That was a long travel <laughs> kit. And now you you know you will not see a mountain bike with anything less than double that. So what we need to you need to think about gravel suspension is it's all about comfort and control. It's not about big hits. It's not about squashing. You know, it, it's just about introducing a level of comfort. You know, and if I, if I, I'll talk about because um, I've just come off the back of like bike of the year testing. Um, on gravel and I mean it, you know I say that I've I tested more than twice the amount of bikes I actually needed for for our final showdown I had bikes in there from that are pure gravel race bikes you know from the likes of BMC and Factor and stuff and, and you know things like the geometry on them is just not very far removed from a road bike mm. and in the right conditions so you're talking a big wide open straight fire roads and you know and, and the sort of gravel that I've got yeah. fairly low Salisbury Plains Salisbury Plains yeah, yeah. They were impossibly fast on those, like road bike fast. But my gravel testing loops is like 70 mile, but it takes everything in from those big wide open roads to double track and then single track and then a few like highly tech bits through the woods. And they were both beaten, soundly beaten over the full distance by a bike with suspension. Interesting. Uh, and more pro- sort of, you know, I don't say progressive because it's a dis- just a different type of geometry. You know, it was um, Giant's new Revolt X, which takes the Revolt platform, slackens it a little bit, sticks a suspension fork on the back and a dropper post, um, suspension fork on the front and a dropper post on the back. And it was sort of revelatory that how it well, wasn't as fast on those wide open fast tracks, but the minute you got into anything that required a bit of, a bit of, you know, more skill-based riding and more mm. technical stuff, it just wiped the floor. Uh, and, and, there was significant it was significantly better you know um so i do think with any bike choice and i think especially prevalent in in gravel is you really need to think about what you want or what you want to do on your gravel bike if what you want to do on your gravel bike is those big wide open long distance races yeah the racing gravel subgenre is what you want but if like me your idea of of gravel riding is having those moments where you can go a bit fast, but also having those moments where you look about and you go, oh, wow, this, you know, what a beautiful place. You know, I'm, I'm out in the world, so I'm, you know, um, I'm having an adventure. Or, you know, like I, I did on a couple of occasions on those test rides, there's a one particular fast kind of techie downhill section. And on a couple of the bikes that I was testing, once I got to the bottom, I went, that was so much fun. I'm going back to the top and doing it again. Nice. You know, yeah. and... And that's my idea of gravel. It's more about being a big kid, having a, having fun, rather than being full on kind of competition mode. So, and let's face it, like at least in the UK, and I'm sure large swathes of Europe, it's very much our sort of gravel riding, if you like, inverted commas that you won't be able to see, is very much like a patchwork of different types of terrain. And there is yeah. for a lot of people a lot more of the more technical stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, I would just describe it as just old school mountain biking. Yeah, it's that. You know, the, the way, you know, when I first started mountain biking, and you know, most of my friends did, and a lot of guys I, I even ride with now, our idea of mountain biking back in the, you know, early 90s um, and onwards was you went out for a day with an OS map in your back pocket <laughs> and you literally just rode places you've never been before. It's all become so much easier now with GPS. Mm. You know, you've got no, I've got no worries about getting lost. You know, the only worries I have about riding that sort of plane is I'm going to ride into a live firing zone, but, you know, not <laughs> normally, normally they're a flag. <laughs> yeah. I think like the thing that, which I also think about when it when it comes to gravel and suspension and things like that, like, like you say, like if you look at you know we've obviously have US contributors and, and have done a lot in the past, and you know you see their gravel rides and you know big Midwestern, you know almost graded dirt roads. I totally get why you wouldn't have a suspension fork or, or suspension of any sort on your gravel bike because it's basically a road and it's very smooth, it's very fine, and it's you know fine gravel, and you probably don't need it there, but. As soon as you get onto anything with that little bit of bump, the suspension, you know, it gives you the grip because your front wheel is better able to track the the ground. It gives you comfort because your hands aren't being wobbled everywhere. And on like a longer ride, that fatigue reduction is, you know, it's, I'd, I'd say, you know, other than the super smooth stuff, I would rather have suspension on on pretty much anything. I did um, 
I put a rigid fork onto my gravel bike last year for various reasons, and I went out for a, sort of a test ride to make sure it was all so working. The one you stole from me. The one I stole from you, and it was <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, and they ended up, and then I ended up getting um, a a redshift stem just to sort of give that comfort back. And you know, we can talk about you know forks, you know, suspension forks versus suspended stems, and there's a difference. And again, you bring in sort of specialised future shock, which again suspends the hand the handlebars, not the bike. And I I think there's a significant notable difference between the two systems but at least you get sort of the comfort mm. with that which which is a benefit but the thing i sort of always think about is you know when people say oh, you don't, oh why have you got suspension on your gravel bike it's just a mountain bike from the 90s well hey, i can't buy a mountain bike from the 90s because it's 2023 but also like name me another machine that is designed to go off road that doesn't have suspension bikes are the only thing you know gravel bikes cross bikes are the only thing that are designed to go on dirt that don't have suspension or 12 foot tall tires that's a really good point. So why would yeah. you not have it? It's it's there for a reason. You know, even like Formula One cars, which go on really smooth tracks, they have suspension too. You know, obviously <laughs> I come from, from a mountain bike background where I think suspension's great. But yeah, so I I would I wouldn't be I would be if I saw a gravel bike, you know, two there in a shop, one's got suspension fork, one hasn't got suspension fork. I know which one I'd go for. Mm, maybe putting off the knee replacement a little bit sooner as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's see how we're faring come a little bit later on. What about dropper posts? You mentioned them a little bit there, Warren. Like, that's another bit of tech that's been borrowed straight across from the mountain bikes. Is that something that everyone needs? Is it very specific use case? What's your take on that? I, I used to think that it was a kind of a very specific thing, that if you did the sort of gravel riding that I kind of like doing, which does include, you know, I mean, one of my favourite loops from mine goes down an old um, defunct National Point Series downhill course, <laughs> which I did race on, you know, back when I was racing a hardtail mountain bike, you know, 20 plus years ago. But I do that on a gravel bike now. Yeah. And the dropper post on that is exceptional. It just makes everything easier. It makes riding more technical terrain and kind of challenges yourself just that much more easier because, you know, you're not. You're not hooking your shorts up in, you know, on the nose of the saddle, and you you can actually get you can maneuver around on the bike. But as more and more I've had it on bikes, and more and more I've used it, I, I just love it. You know, I mean, it's not just on the technical downhill stuff. I I like dropping the post out of the way, even if I'm descending on a road, because yeah. you can get super low and you can get super fast, and you can really get a you know crank the bike over. But I would say, yeah, it's a, a luxury, but it, it's it's one of those luxuries I enjoy. I, I fitted um, one of the access posts to my gravel bike a little while ago, and uh, I kept forgetting it was there, <laughs> so I took it off. <laughs> like I might be like diehard mountain biker, but I took the drop. And, and there are, uh, certainly, I went out for a ride the other week, and you know, going down there's a, a single track near um, near the airport in Bristol. Um, it's like a river, and it's a rocky river. And, and I was going, there, I was like, oh, maybe I should have had that drop post back on because it would have made life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally forgot. I actually did the same loop on. Uh, I'm testing some hardtail XC race mountain bikes, and weirdly, I've, I found the gravel bike better down there than the, the mountain bike for some wow. reason. I think just the position, the relative positions, and the fact that I could get myself in a really nice position. I'm just so comfortable on the on the gravel bike. But yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on the on the dropper post. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, you need a super expensive wireless. No, 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 <laughs> I just, that's just what I had in the garage. But I like, you know, spoiled, absolutely spoiled. You know, I do like it and everything, but um, you know, some of the cheaper offerings I found. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. As long as you can route it through your frame, because that's, I guess, yeah. one area where gravel bikes maybe haven't caught up with mountain bikes is that dropper post routing on a mountain bike is ubiquitous, mm-hmm. and I don't think it is on gravel bikes yet. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. I think a lot of the kind of new school, more gravity orientated kind of gravel bikes do have it. They I do, mean, that, have, yeah. That, you know, the Giant Revolt X does come with them. Mm-hmm. Does come with a dropper, which is actually quite quite decent. It's like, and I hadn't ridden it before. Not a huge brand one. It's like a postmodern, but it's 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 effectively a suspension seat post as well. Mm. It's got about twenty mil of travel, which actually did make a real difference in the comfort stakes. Mm-hmm. And I did like the fact that I can just get it out of the way. And then the other thing I would say, you know, for anybody that's like a you know more extreme bike packer etc if your bike's completely oh, loaded yeah. and a couple of feet wide having a dropper so when you stop you can drop your saddle down yeah. and get off the bike without trying to clamber over you know big bags panniers or whatever it's a godsend you know? yeah i think dropper posts should be fitted on all utility bikes 
Yeah, hundred percent. They're great yeah. when you come up to a red light at the traffic yeah. traffic lights, and especially if you've been riding your mountain bike or something that does have a dropper post, and then you go back to a normal bike. Oh, it's such a hassle having to put your foot all the way mm. down. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll refit it this evening before my next gravel run. I'll put, I'll put it back on. Give it another go. Brilliant. So we've seen that tech has changed a lot over the last decade or so in regards to gravel bikes. But where do you think it's going next? Do either of you have any like sneaking suspicions? Uh, Crystal ball predictions. Well, I'm not going to name names. I had a conversation with a brand last week um, who make gravel bikes, and they're talking about bearings that have some damping in for the fork. When you go, you know, if you've got real light, relatively speaking, compared to a mountain bike, but very light steering that's very Mm. um, agile and active, and you're going over, you know, say like pebble-sized gravel, you know, your front wheel is is jittering about and there's nothing wrong with that but they're saying that they've been experimenting with bearings that have some damping in them just to calm everything down and, and they feel that it makes a big difference it's only a small thing uh, in terms of sort of the size of the component and, and potential cost but they said the the ride quality change was dramatic um so they're gonna they're gonna send me one down i'm gonna pop it on uh, on my gravel bike i think they might send two bearings down so i'll give one to you as well ron just to sort of try because i think you know that's a potential area where not much thought really has gone into it across the cycling divide. There are steering dampers in various places. So obviously Canyon have their KISS thing on their um, longer travel enduro bike, which is like a self-centering steering thing, which by all accounts is a little bit odd. There are things like the Hopi steering damper, which was, you know, you saw in downhill occasionally. Utility bikes sometimes have those sort of things. Just to, just calms everything down, makes things a little bit less um, wayward and perhaps a little bit less um, prone to steering wobble as well. well. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because when you're talking gravel bikes, they're the actual cockpit takes its influence more from the road than it does from mountain bikes. Mm. You think how wide your average mountain bike bar is, mm. and now that reduces lots of steering torque and lots yep. of uh, you know kind of reverb that's coming through it. Whereas most gravel bikes have traditional kind of width that you'd have a road bar, mm. and so the forces that the torque induced on on your steering really shows. Mm. As was going back to those like more racy gravel bikes, I mean the BMC Kyus, which as I say was like super fast, actually comes with kind of a super fashionable narrow bar so on the hoods it's only 36 centimeters wide Oof. for for someone my size right know, and my the width of my shoulders i should be riding a 42 or a 44 bar yeah and wow admittedly the flare on the gravel on the bar does come out to a bit more of a normal size but when you're doing that kind of flat out you're normally on the hoods because it's the most comfortable mm. place to be and you can get in a nice little tuck but i found as soon as the road surface changed to anything more than cobblestones the torque coming through the steering was scary. Mm. The jar was just the bike was just bouncing and you know just wildly continuously to the point where I've sort of gone. Well, it's kind of you know it's spoiled. What well, is a fabulous bike? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the cheaper the one cheaper is still expensive. It's a BMC, but the one cheaper comes with a normal bar, and I was right. looking at that with envy. <laughs> and, and and so I do think that things like that, like a like a uh, a steering damper, could be the solution to that side of gravel. Yeah. But I think, you know, where it's going to go, I think we're already seeing all these subdivisions happening and they are becoming specific tools for specific purposes. So mm. you've got your race mm. gravel, you've got your trail oriented gravel, you've got your bike packing and, it, and it more adventure style bikes. And then you've got um, the kind of new breed of, of the proper crossover bike. You know, it's, and, and by that I'm talking, you know, especially the Ridley Griffin and the new, Peter's men on Evo, mm-hmm. you know, because both of those are exceptionally good insurance bikes, but both of them actually work as fast, racy gravel bikes, you know, that like the Venon, you know, the Venon running on a 30C tire or a 30 mil wide tire, it, the trail figure on the fork is the, is the same as something like a Super 6 Evo, mm-hmm. but it, it's got tire clearances for a 45 mil tire. Mm. So you stick a 45 mil tire on it, it pushes the trail out and it actually feels pretty stable as a gravel bike, yeah. you know. I've been riding two versions of that bike, one built for gravel and one built for the road for the last few months. And it is like, it's a ridiculous thing for someone like me to say is like, you could just have one bike. Mm. <laughs> as someone with, with, with someone. only one bike in the <laughs> yeah. garage, Warren. Yeah, <laughs> as, yeah, right. as we've discussed in the past. <laughs> so if someone's actually got, you know, three gravel bikes and is building a fourth, then. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, like the big sort of tech and elephant in the room with gravel, certainly from my side, would be the lack of any rear suspension on, on, or not the lack, but there's very few sort of proper full suspension bikes. We're seeing mm. suspension at the front, 
are we going to see suspension at the back? And I don't mean like a little rubbery insert that's or slightly um, isolates your seat tube from your top tube, but I mean proper. You, you know, mean actual, actual, actual as Nina did with it, was it the RDO or something? Yeah. I That's it, it's yeah. Called. yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure whether it is ever going to be a thing. I don't know whether it's needed. I think it's the, it's the weight and complexities. It's the it? weight and complexities. But I, I think that there's going to be things come out that might be interesting. So yeah, I, I, I wonder whether there will be true full suspension gravel bikes coming. And I, I would be really interested, you know, Warren, if, if, if you self rode one and what you actually thought of it. I'd be really intrigued to try it because I have liked a lot of the, those systems, you know, going back, going, you know, right back to one of the original, it's like Moots with the YBB, mm. you know, which, which effectively every other kind of interrupted seat stay system out there is just of a similar thing from mm-hmm. BMC's URS, um, the Pivot Vault, mm-hmm. Cannondale Topstone, you know, which actually does have a, a pivot that relies on the flex, you know, the old, yeah. old original kind of scalpel idea. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I would like to see it, but... It's a tough sell because it's already a tough sell for a certain faction of gravel riders. In uh, like, it's just heavy. It's heavy. You know, mm. why put a fork on it? It's heavy. Well, it makes it a nicer ride. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, um, but I, it's something I would really like to see. Mm. But I, I think you know, I think one of the strengths and successes of gravel is that it does have just one name, and it's just one thing. Mm-hmm. I want to drop our bike to go and ride off road. Just get gravel, you know. But. And I don't want it to go the way of mountain biking, where you have subgenre after subgenre after mm. subgenre. <laughs> and it just comes from a you know an old school mountain biker that doesn't own a modern mountain bike because I literally don't have a clue what to buy. <laughs> I just look at the market and go, oh, I don't know. I just don't know. You seem to read our trail bike of the year test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps I will. <laughs> but you know, it's like um, so. I think gravel strength is it's just one unified thing, but for the tech to evolve, it needs to mm-hmm. fully divide. You know, because I, I don't know if the... It's probably the reason I own so many gravel bikes. It's like, I don't think I've found the perfect one yet. Yeah. You know, it's kind of... But it's fun searching, isn't it? <laughs> Something to do, isn't it? Keep on riding a couple hundred more. You'll get there. <laughs> and now for part two of this episode, I have the great delight of being joined by Frank Doerr, who is a product development manager at YT Industries. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Hey, Catherine. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, that's a, a pleasure for me. Thank you very much. So why don't you start by letting us know where you're joining from and what's involved in being a product development manager? Oh, yeah, I can kick off with that. That's no problem. So actually, you're catching me like I'm sitting in Austria, meanwhile, in uh, mm-hmm. in my home office. Uh, that's a, a place nearby Innsbruck where I try to escape from the daily hustle and uh, yeah, spending some time in the mountains and riding my bike a lot and yeah, wrapping my head around what's going on in future, uh, where we are standing currently talking about bikes. And yeah, that's why I enjoy spending time. Um, the question like, uh, what's involved, like being a product manager? Oh, actually, that's not so complicated. Uh, but actually, it is in detail. So <laughs> <laughs> hang around in the industry um, for longer than YT, which is meanwhile, I guess, seven years already. It's like, first of all, loving bikes being passionate about bikes, wrapping your head about uh, around what's going on in future, where you can improve, what's needed out there, and uh, what we can do to to generate fun and joy and bring, bring good products to the people. And yeah, for sure, loving technique, loving hanging around in factories, and yeah. Nice, nice. So pretty varied then, but all about the fun at the heart is what I'm getting from that. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's uh, there's uh, for sure there's there's a fun part, but uh, actually uh, there's a lot of extra work involved as well. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'm German. I'm very particular about everything, and in the end, it's like, um, yeah, not not kidding. It's like we do have uh, a big team, a big development team. We have to dial in our lineup, our future lineup. Uh, we have to generate uh, YT's future in terms of products. And uh, there's a lot of work involved, like, hey, what products do we need in future? How should they look like? How should they write? How should they feel? Where can we improve? And how to brief internal people about what's to do in the development? 
and part of my role as well as like generating a briefing once we start a development a briefing for internal marketing department like hey we we do develop a product that that's our idea behind that that's the story that's the approach we took and how to communicate it to customers because there's still the, the question and maybe you're familiar with that you hunting for a certain brand and then you have to make a decision should you pick that bike over the other and why and why is it a, the best pick you can do and there's a lot of information needed to let our customers uh, do a quick and the right choice yeah it's a bit of a minefield out there isn't it especially you know there's so many gravel bikes out there and often so varied as well which brings us on of course to yt's first drop bar bike the scepter it's a pretty radical design for a gravel bike i'm sure you'd agree so can you tell us a little bit more about how the scepter came about um, thanks for pointing out that's a pretty radical design. So from my perspective, it isn't. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it's, it's just it's just uh, uh, the result on how we want the bike should ride and feel following our design language. Uh, we we did establish a couple of years ago, and yeah, that's it. Just kidding. It's 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 uh, yeah a bigger process behind that, and, and it was a longer journey because specifically like gravel bike, that's a, a new category to us and uh, yeah it was an interesting journey let's say like that and doing mountain bikes that's what we are famous for and that's where we feel confident and um, yeah we have to wrap our head around different points which we do not have to face uh, considering to ride a mountain bike so um, so if I would share the journey how we ended up like with the SEPTA at YT actually it was more interesting that you might think and the journey was way longer than you would expect i can remember like riding a first dropper bike on a trail is already i i don't know eight nine nine years ago and it was a a bike from a competitor which was uh, a dropper bike uh, and they market the bike like hey that's you can take it kind of off-road and that's where we started, like, hey, let's write the thing on our trails and let's figure out if there's anything behind that idea. And um, that's what the, what we did over the last couple of years with all the gravel bikes popping up. And um, yeah, it was interesting to see how that feels, yeah, analyzing the concept of that bikes. And um, at a certain point, actually, we decided, yeah, there's room or space for improvement, actually. Nice. And you say you were taking them to the trails. What are the trails like that you ride sort of around you or on your testing loops? Because you're not saying gravel roads. I feel like it's more sort of heading in that direction. Yeah, let's say we, we took them off road. Let's say that, that maybe that's that's uh, that's a better description. But um, yeah, there have been trades involved as well. And nice. it's just because you have to go through a bigger variety to get uh, or to see clearer what that bike is made for. And that's actually, that's, that's what we did for sure. You, you say you're going totally crazy and you take that bike to, to your most common trails. And then you, yeah, you, you figure out, is it, is it, does it make sense or not? Or is it just made for like travel road, actually travel road? Yeah. You mentioned it already before. Like uh, if we talk about gravel riding, uh, if I would ask you, Hey, what's gravel riding? And we would ask five more people we might end up with four different opinions. Yeah. Actually, that was a challenge for us as well to define where, what we see behind that that gravel world or the gravel segment. That, that was the, the most interesting challenge here. Definitely. It's like this massive chasm between road cycling, which is quite well-defined, and mountain biking, which is quite well-defined. And then there's literally like every gradient in between. I'd probably go for like all-terrain biking but then I'm quite happy to shoulder a gravel bike and hike up a really technical bit that I can't ride and other people just want like almost road pristine gravel where they never have to put a foot down so it's yeah I can definitely see where you're coming from there yeah and then you have the uh, people that they love to strap everything what they can find to their bike and like disappearing for a for days in, in in the sticks and woods and or go fly fishing or whatsoever and then <laughs> yeah you have you have the belgian waffle ride or for example san diego which is like i would say that's a badass road cycling race kind of 
and, and that's travel travel writing as well and um yeah by by doing the analysis um for us syt it was crystal clear that we want to create an a bike and bicycle which maximize the fun off-road uh with a clear focus on off-road riding no matter if it's just a gravel or if there's a single trail involved and for sure there's a difference between when we talk about a single trail you can hit with the capra and a single trail you can hit with the scepter for sure there's a there's a difference but in the end it's yeah it's it's actually it's fun while off-road riding and and that's the that's the major point in here or the biggest mission is like how can we amplify the rider's confidence to take that bike actually off-road because that's when you were riding different different gravel bikes specifically when we started the project it feels like um it's more important to know what it takes to create an off-road product and having fun with it compared to knowing everything about how to create a perfect drop bar bike because it's two different backgrounds okay and yeah. considering that to that time let's say we started a project in early 2017 um, at that time uh, we figured out ah uh, maybe there's room for improvement in parts as well. Luckily, part suppliers, the brands, they identified the same space for improvement. That's why they started to develop different parts as well, and everything lined up. Yeah, to make or to bring everyone in the position to have an awesome travel ride experience with a lot of fun and not being scared of taking that bike off road. So what would you say the design influences were for the Scepter? Basically, our approach is when we do uh, the industrial design of a product, our designers, they work with mood boards. We call it mood boards. Like say, um, or specifically, let's let's stick to the, to the Scepter bike. Um, the idea or the conceptual idea behind that is like, we talk about a truck bar bike, which is originally made to perform on the road, but... Based on that idea, there is uh, a desire to take that product off-road. And that, that sounds weird, but um, we identified similarities um, in rally cars. So the cars you see in rally sports, they are not made initially to take them off-road. It's as a, a road-optimized product, mm -hmm. modified up to the to the very max and and do high performance off-road so the uh, and inspiration for our scepter came from rally cars in terms of like the visual effect um the surface design or let's stick to the uh, head tube area which is a critical part from our aesthetic perspective that's the area where we normally uh, implement our head box design we call it it's difficult in that category because it's a very long head tube going on on these kind of bikes. <laughs> Specifically, if you want to get to, to a certain stack, sorry, and um, to deal with a long head tube, it's a different shape area compared to mountain bikes. So we have to find the right mood to get inspiration to design that area. And it's get inspired, or the designers got inspired by a helmet of a knight. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> which, which, which symbols like there's, it's an area, it might be well thought, it should be protected, it should offer a certain strength or stiffness. Uh, we have to deal with certain angles and certain shapes lining up, coming from, from different directions, lining up in, in one certain spot. That is how we work. We work with moon boards and um, try to find inspiration or finding similarities, which we can transform then in the in the final shape and final design always in front of or considering our all of our design language use that it's a very fun a fun part actually yeah it does sound cool trying to find things that are sort of analogous to what you're trying to produce but actually looking and i think this is something that it can be really easy just to focus in on the bike industry and competitors products or whatever but actually looking way beyond that into you know other sports like you say or completely different areas for inspiration is really cool part of the of, of a good of a good uh, uh german industrial design process <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so did the team have a really clear vision going into this process and you know v1 was 
perfect or were there loads of amendments made to the design along the way as a result of prototyping and testing? Actually, there's a clear answer, yes. We had a clear picture from the very first beginning, not in terms how how it looked like. It was more or less, that's why we, or basically we try to establish a mission for every project we start. Mm-hmm. It let us all um, see a clear picture where we are striving for or what we wanted to want to reach and it's always a sweet reminder and you, you're getting so lost so easily in, in 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 small discussions about details and this and that and, and back and forth it's always helpful to have to have a mission for each project and for the scepter it was we established a mission like amplifying writers confidence and it's like breaking that down in terms of engineering and design so yes there was a clear mission clear answer but the devil is always in the detail in terms of, okay, how can you transform your mission into a live product? Yeah, that's always the fun part, like oh, the dropouts and the headbox and the, the dimension of the tubes and the BP area. There's a lot of surfaces coming together and a lot of lines and shapes and cross sections. And yeah, it requires always a lot of scribbles, a lot of RPs, a lot of digital design or like hand-shaped models it's it's always more iterations needed than you would expect yeah (laughs) but the mission was clear yeah and you said i think earlier that the process started in 2017 so that's quite a few years of uh of development into that wow Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so the scepter as we have it now, how do you think that stands apart from some of the other more sort of trail-ready gravel bikes there are on the market? Um, I think the most relevant USP of the scepter is is the capability of amplifying the rider's confidence. So uh, that's what's what, what we heard so many times, and I really appreciate that, and I'm really happy about that, and proud of the team that it wasn't only a mission like written down in some papers and presentations it's like it's actually a real life usp of the scepter so mm-hmm. i would say in terms of the difference compared to our competitors it's a, it's an well thought off-road product where you can have fun like not being scared it's like we said you do have the scepter which is a symbol of power in your own hands so uh, you can make a decision where to where to to take the scepter and not being scared what's waiting there for you because in terms of geometry and uh parts or spec yeah no need to be scared go for that go for the trail go for the travel feel confident on the bike uh don't suffer by pain points we clicked all checkboxes in terms of let's say the suspension fork let's say the geometry the strop bars you do have a very, very comfortable riding position on that bike. Um, you do have tons of grip on that bike. Yeah, just go for it. Don't worry too much and have fun. Yeah, yeah. come together with people. Uh, don't be scared if there's like a more on-road orientated travel bike. This is no problem. Uh, you can keep up. It's not like you're riding a tank. Uh, it performs uh, very good on-road, even better off-road. No problem. Have fun. Yeah. I think that's the biggest or the, the most relevant USP compared to products you can see in the market as well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I haven't had the pleasure of trying the Scepter yet, but I've certainly ridden some gravel bikes and I ride mountain bikes too. So you you try and get this sort of cross compatibility and you think, oh yeah, you know, ride the gravel bike for fitness, that'll really complement my mountain bike, which will help my handling on the gravel bike. And But sometimes I go from my mountain bike to a gravel bike that I'm testing and I'm like, whoa, this is sketchy because you're used to having so much like suspension and really wide tyres and then you got on your gravel bike and maybe don't try to ride the same thing, but something similar and it feels really sketchy. So having a bike that like gives you that confidence to not feel like you're completely like undergunned at something is, is yeah, I can see why that would be really really handy <laughs> yeah it was uh, really interesting like um or we get, meanwhile we get we got feedback from a big variety of riders and um we had some really awesome feedback from i would say a minimum semi-professional road cyclists um which showed up like first the first comment was like oh 
can we swap the stamp because that's that's too short i'm not writing that <laughs> short stamp i know i never i cannot ride a bike with that short stem and um it's if we talk about a gravel bike um we do see or that's where it's really important talking about amplifying the rider's confidence because to be honest we as mountain bikers we might be scared because it's, it's, there's no suspension in the rear and there are weird shape bars. It's drop bars. We are not familiar with that. And riding in the hoods, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> and taking that that rig off-road, that's kind of scary. And if you do have a road cycling background, you're familiar with all that skinny tires and drop bars and riding on the hoods and whatsoever. But you might be not like super safe if there's a route coming your way or uh, you know the trail is pointing a little bit towards downhill so that was our mission to bring people together and to crack their genre thinking like uh hey i'm a mountain biker i'm not talking with road cyclists and mm -hmm. because they do have white socks and white shoes and it's vice versa <laughs> it's like find fighting or cracking up that genre it's like hey we're here to have fun on a bike we have the right tool to bring people together um, because no matter what background you are, you might be scared of something. And by riding the scepter, you figure out oh, there's no re need to be scared. And I don't give a fuck if you're riding white socks or not, because we 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 have a foundation and having fun together and not worrying too much about the bike. And that's the beauty in 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 the in the scepter and the gravel segment. And that's why we started that segment as well. Not because it's a perfect addition to our mountain bikes or whatsoever. No, it's it's uh, we SYT. We we mainly doing products to have fun on a bike. We're not striving for. We're doing that as well, but we love to have good times. And uh, the scepter or the gravel segment that that's currently a big opportunity to revive that character or even enlarge that community thinking. And that's what we experienced in, in the events we, ha we had so far. We shared trails with people we never would have before because there wasn't the right tool existing. That's really cool. Nice one. So for the last question, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out. And as we've been doing in the rest of this series, we're looking into the future of gravel, gravel riding, gravel racing, gravel tech. Where do you personally see the future of gravel bike tech going? Have you got any predictions for us? Oh, yeah, there are a lot of predictions I do have. They're changing frequently. Uh, yeah, having a look in my in my class boy this morning. <laughs> um, to me, it's or well, I would love to see. If we talk about the, the uh, gravel bike segment, it's super exciting because it's like I'm mid 40s, so I went through all that, that stuff with mountain bikes as well. It's like there's a new product or a new category existing. Like, hey, there's bikes, mountain bikes, off-road riding, and what should we do with it? So it's always as ping pong, like parts suppliers developing new products, frame suppliers or manufacturers or brands like us, we are developing frames with uh, a certain purpose and it's always that back and forth the headline of what i love to see is like establishing the gravel bike as a tool to escape the daily hustle and what we learned over the last two or three decades in mountain biking for example that the new transmission the t-type transmission SRAM developed lately it's is super cool because it even if there's the battery involved and all that stuff it's super easy to have a high performance product without without a big struggle compared to like 20 years ago like having your rear derailleur nicely dialed is like you can spend every saturday in a workshop before <laughs> and after the ride like getting back in shape getting yeah. it back in shape and um all the developments i hope to see in future should or could go in that direction, making our lives easier and focusing the fun and less maintenance. Um, because it's just a few people who prefer standing in a workshop and working on their bike instead of riding it. Yeah, that's where we all here. We love it's riding definitely bike. Me. <laughs> it's I would say it's minimum 80% of us yeah. and um, having the gravel bikes and all that that parts which are getting uh, developed in future, they should ease up our lives 
and let us escape from the daily struggle and not creating pain points and suffer points and letting us see workshops or bike dealers or whatsoever instead of riding. Um, that's what what I see in the development in the mountain bike market. It's everyone is striving to making our lives easier, and I hope to see that in in the trail bike segment as well. Is there uh, an opportunity for a suspension? I'm 100% sure that's why we built, or that's why our concept is based on a suspension fork, not to do the big hacks, but generating comfort and even with that, like creating a longer ride or expanding the, the, the time of having fun or postpone the suffer points to a later point on your ride. If there's electronic parts coming, yes, they are there already. I hope we see more in future. Charging a battery, everyone is using a mobile phone or smartphone or iPad or whatsoever. I think it's <laughs> it's easier to charge a battery instead of like getting all these cables dialed in. So yeah. electronic should come. Please, all part suppliers, help us. <laughs> or let us yeah. struggle less with maintenance. And that lets us focus on fun. That's yeah. my crystal ball. It's That's all I see there. You definitely made me think of electronic gears earlier when you said less time in the workshop and more time riding. I've been lucky to have electronic gears on my gravel bike for a few years now. And I am terrible at indexing gears. But with the electronic ones, you just set them up and then they just stay perfect. And it is bliss. <laughs> I, I, I cannot agree more here. So definitely for me, for someone who's a bit um, phobic of mechanics or at least not particularly talented, <laughs> it was well worth the extra outlay. Yeah, but if you are the best, the, the, the World Cup mechanic in the world, at a certain point you want to have, like you want to close the day and say, hey, I'm done with the work, I start riding. Yeah. And who would complain about having more time for writing? None of us. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, Frank. And um, yeah, I definitely, for one, hope that your predictions about the future of gravel come true. So what's your take on the future of gravel tech? Let us know by emailing in at podcast at bikeradar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast and do us a solid by leaving a review on the podcast provider of your choice. Make sure you tune back in next time where we'll be taking another look into the bike radar crystal ball, this time at the future of gravel racing. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 